everyone, and welcome to Fashion Decipher. This episode, we will be reviewing the Very Ralph documentary um, on Ralph Lauren, and it's on HBO. If you haven't had a chance to watch it, I definitely say watch it um, and then listen to this episode or listen to this episode and then watch it either way. <laughs> but let's get into it. Um, the documentary opens with the late Audrey Hepburn speaking on the magic of Ralph Lauren's America. She says, if someone says something is very Ralph Lauren, you immediately understood. She's absolutely correct about that. You know a look is Ralph Lauren. Um, if you were wearing the polos and the, the sweater tied around with the arms tied around the neck and shorts, you know that's a very Ralph Lauren look. <laughs> it then goes into a montage of images that encompasses the brand, um, whether that was the runway, models walking the runway, wearing his clothes, family photos, celebrities, and his maison on Madison Avenue, New York City. Now, around minute 302, <laughs> there is a video clip of a rapper's Ghostface and Rayquan of Wu-Tang Clan, and then it pans to Kanye West standing with the designer. Now, I'm putting a pin in this and coming back because I want to follow up and why this is important, um, and we'll move on. So the documentary opens with Ralph explaining his process, and he speaks about how he's anti-fashion, and he never went to fashion school, and he didn't have any of the formal training many designers get while going to fashion school. So he didn't know how to cut garments or sketch, but he did have an eye for what works. So he did have the fashion eye. He attributes this to, to his father, who was an artist, and really taught him all about color. So just so you know what anti-fashion is, it's a term that explains style that is contrary to fashion that is current or popular at the moment. Um, and many luxury designers embrace this term because it brings light to why they don't follow trends, you know, of the mainstream. So getting back into it, Ralph states that, you know, he, you know, he speaks about his obsession on Hollywood's leading men at the time that he grew up because he watched those movies, you know, such as Eddie Fisher or Marlon Brando. You know, he speaks, his peers talk about how, how Ralph Lauren himself had an affinity to put things together that wasn't the norm. Um, he exuded this personal style that transcended the way he dressed, you know, to all people around him. Um, designer Calvin Klein grew up at Ralph Lauren in the Bronx. And he spoke on the documentary about how they both grew up together and how he admired Ralph, he admired Ralph um, and the fact that he took chances in the way that he liked to dress, you know, and taking those chances made him brave in taking fashion risks of his own. So Mr. Loren talks about his early childhood in the Bronx and growing up in a working class family with immigrant parents. He grew up in a small room with his two older brothers <laughs> and he always wanted his own space because he had like piles of piles of shoes. And anyone that has a sibling that shared a room definitely understands this. Um, he also reminisces about his child life and his home life, you know, very fondly. He talks, you know, he, he says, you know, he really had a great childhood and, you know, he could attribute that to his parents, but he always wanted more than that, what, what was presented to him. You know, like they, he wanted a step above what his everyday life was. And he saw that in the American dream. You know, Calvin Klein says, in the documentary that he could always see that there was something that he was creating, you know, in his mind. He says that he believed later on he would use those, that thing that he was creating in his designs. And he had this idea about lifestyle, you know, buying into it. And you can live this way in his clothes. You know, and this is what makes Ralph Lauren an aspirational brand. You know, a lot of people would say the term, I know people have heard this, it's not a brand, it's a lifestyle. So this comes from being aspirational. 
So aspirational brands are, you know, it's a term that is used in consumer marketing. Um, the brand advertises themselves to the shopper that wants to live a life associated with that brand, but for economical reasons, they cannot. Out of this is born the aspirational shopper, you know, because of this branding that they, you know, want to be part of that larger part of luxury. And they want to own a piece of the larger pie of that brand, even if it's very small. You know, so brands started to create entry-level products that allow these shoppers to feel that they were part of the fabric of a higher social status. So you could see totally that brands like Louis Vuitton and Prada will have like these entry-level pieces, whether that's a key ring, a bag charm, or what else, a scarf for Burberry, things that are umbrella, things that will get you in the door from 150 up to like 300. And the person who's purchasing it feels that they're part of this luxury lifestyle, even though they're everyday workers like me. <laughs> um, you know, Ralph then goes on to talk about his muse and his muse is his wife and how her look translates into the models that he picks for his runway shows and his print ads. He loves her, of course, for many reasons. But he definitely one of the reasons why he loves her is her very natural look, you know, long flowy hair, no makeup, very minimalistic and, you know, no fashionable trendy clothes. The women's wear line of Ralph Lauren was created from his wife, Ricky, and his VP Buffy wanting to wear the menswear items that he designed. And I have to bring up a point. This reminds me of what most modeling agencies send their models out to book work. Like they tell them, you know, they send them out to book work and it's called like a go see, if you don't know that term. And it's a phrase that modeling agencies use when they have a model go see someone. <laughs> That's the full term of it, um, to be casted for a job, whether that would be runway shows, print ads, videos, or commercials. And most times models are instructed to show up to the go see in very casual clothing which is primarily jeans and a t-shirt. So this, you won't be too distracting to the designer that looks at you. You can, they can see your beauty for what they are. And you can kind of compare this to you looking in your natural state as a blank canvas, you know, to a painter, you know, so it's, it's a clear picture of how they see you and then they can design you how they like. So him, Ralph Lauren, looking at his wife this way, and he looks for models this way, reminds me of model agencies sending models out for go-sees. Ralph's wife, Ricky, talks about their married life and how they lived in a small apartment in the Bronx, and they had a bulletin board, and on that board, they tacked dream pictures of the things that they loved. So think Pinterest, which is a virtual dream or vision board. So same thing, <laughs> but you know, you guys do it now. We do it virtually now. Ralph, in his very early years of their marriage, was a Thai salesman. Ralph Lauren worked at Bo Brummel, which was in Soho, but it moved a couple of times in New York City. Bo Brummel, the original store, opened in 1959, and it closed in 2015. Just a sidebar about Bo Brummel, you know, he was one of the forefathers of men's style and dandyism. I know we have an episode about Black dandies, but this is kind of where it started from. You know, he was from Regency, England, and his name was synonymous with style, and he was an iconic style figure of his time. He has been remembered for the entry point into dandyism. He wore bespoke suits, and, you know, and they were fit to form with all hand tailoring. From what was written about him, he was like an advocate of good tailoring and fabrics and a restrictive color palette and all things associated with being polished at the time. So he was kind of like an influencer of like the long, long ago before influencers were a term. 
you know, getting back to Ralph, you know, Ralph has always, the, you know, the documentary points out that Ralph has always had a sense of what he wanted to look like or the clothes that he wanted to wear. It was during this time that Ralph went to a custom tailor to have clothes made specifically, you know, for what he had envisioned for himself. There was a time that in the documentary, they said that there was a, art, a newspaper article, a magazine called the Daily New Record. And it did a story about Ralph Lauren in 1964 on his personal style. You know, Ralph Lauren talks about his influence of Hollywood and the actors played, um, you know, on his personal style and how much they influenced him. Um, he wanted to wear clothes that he's seen on a film, but he just had no idea where to find them. So he decided to just do it himself. <laughs> Ralph states that he always had an affinity for newness and, you know, like things that showcase, you know, individuality. So Ralph started to make ties and, you know, they talked about how his family pitched in to help construct the ties. Um, his daughter reminisced, Dylan Lauren, if you know her uh, shop is like Dylan Candy, but his daughter reminisced on how like the family would sew the labels on the ties. It was like a family affair. You know, side note, again, this theme comes up that it takes a village to be successful. Your support team, whether that's your family, friends, colleagues, is critical in the development of your business. We have heard this many times in prior interviews from Ian Higginson to Edmund Newton. There will be many times that you want to quit because I feel that. And the support of others will keep you going. And this is not just for you to use them as a crutch, but you know, as motivation to keep you going when you don't want to. So I just have to say that about support. And I say this often, but getting back to Ralph Lauren, he named his brand Polo due to his love of sports. Ralph saw a need in the market for these ties and he pitched the ties to Bloomingdale's. You know, he said that that was the leading store at the time for newness, for look and design. Ralph showed the ties to the buyer at Bloomingdale's and they wanted him to rearrange the look of the tie, to narrow the size of the tie from the wide look to the narrow and then take the polo name off it so they can have the store name put on. Then Ralph did a very bold move. <laughs> Ralph proceeded to close his briefcase and walk away from the deal. Um, Ralph said that he doesn't know what made him do that and, and gave him the guts to say no. But bottom line, it was because he knew what he wanted and he knew how he wanted the product to be. And he wanted his name and his brand attached to the label. You know, so later he was right. His instincts to walk away was right. Blooming, Bloomingdale's came back to him because they saw that the product, which is the, the wide tie, changed the way a person looked. And everything else that the person wore with that tie had to be changed as well. So this could expand to various articles of clothing and it had to accommodate that tie. So that was new shirts, <laughs> suits, and jackets. So this is where the birth of polo, you know, going into full menswear began. Ralph Lauren says at that time, designer names weren't really appealing to men. It wasn't, you know, they normally bought clothes um, that were either store brands or they went to a tailor. Ralph said that he took classics and elevated the look and elevated the fit and the material. And his VP Buffy says that he took the look of Saville Row in London and added American sensibility to it. Ralph went to Bloomingdale's and told him that he needed a store. So Bloomingdale's created the store within the store. This is like, I guess, one of the first time this has ever been done. We see them now, you know, now all the time, you know, Bloomingdale's will have Gucci inside or Neiman Marcus will have Louis Vuitton inside. So this is like the first time Ralph went to Bloomingdale's is like, I need you to create a, men, a Ralph Lauren store within your store. And that was a big deal. A lot of people didn't understand how he was able to have a store in Bloomingdale's on the first floor 
amongst the makeup and the handbags. <laughs> so that was like shocking to many people who frequent Bloomingdale's. But things took a turn for the worse. You know, just as things were growing for him, Ralph Lauren overextended himself and their expansion of the brand. And they depleted the money that was coming in on product going out. So he wasn't really saving or anything that has to do with that money. So Bloomingdale's decided to advance credit to Ralph Lauren so they can buy piece goods in order to stock the shelves. And that was not done before. Um, they stated, a representative of Bloomingdale's that he worked with at the time stated, this was a very unique situation because Bloomingdale's never did that for other designers. Ralph Lauren knew that he was doing, you know, he had to b- do the work to build himself back. And he needed to know fashion and he needed to know business at the same time. You know, it's a duality that, again, we have heard in past episodes that every designer needs to have. You can't just know fashion. You have to know fashion and money. Ralph goes on, goes on to say that he's in the business of fashion, and which sounds like a frivolous thing and that it's not important, but he believes it's important for people to express who they are. And I totally agree with that. You know, even talking about fashion to this day, I know a lot of people poo-poo it, um, you know, like, oh, it's insignificant. There's greater things going on in the world, but it is very critical to have a rooted self-esteem and a secure self-esteem in who you are and your clothes express that. So I think that's a very important um, statement that he made. Ralph created a brand around uh, the mood of the look of Hollywood leading men, as we mentioned before. You know, his eye for the cinematic character as the everyday man in his life would be portrayed in a movie. Tom Brokaw was in the documentary and he said that he's seen Ralph Lauren as more than just a fashion designer, but more like a cultural force because he changed the way men dressed. Ralph's anti-fashion ways broke a traditional mold by mixing styles like two jackets and jeans and blending with Western looks and formal wear. Um, Ralph Lauren's approach to the way the everyday man dressed and that individuality had so much style and it was connected more with the upper class, but then that became everyday wear for the everyday man. Then people dip into the fact that Ralph changed his last name. So this becomes a thing because people know that Lauren is not his real last name. So in the name change, they talk about it. Ralph Lauren's uh, real last name is Lifshitz. So it went from Lifshitz to Lauren or Lauren. Um, Ralph's brother, Jerry, was the person that created the name change. You know, he's in the documentary saying so. Uh, He claims that it has nothing to do with denying their heritage um, of a Jewish background, but more to have to do with people and even the fellow people of their culture mocking as he calls it, shitsies <laughs> in the lift shits. So he wanted to go to Lorraine. He was just tired of it, of the mocking. So the bullying part of the last name is why the brother, uh, Jerry of Ralph Lauren says that the name change was made. There is an art writer, David Cohen in it. You know, he wrote an article called The Polarization of America and it's polo for Ralph Lauren's polo spelled that way. Article came out in 1987. In the article, he believes that the naysayers or the polo brand was trying to discredit the talent that Ralph Lauren had by consistently bringing up the name change. The article summed up the way the Bronx born designer says that he had culture from afar. You know, Mr. Cohen says that Ralph had an eye of the outsider. He created a look and claimed it to be the great American look that he saw in American movies. Ralph Lauren's son, Angel Lauren, says that his father was a product of the movies and everything that inspired him from it. He believes that his father wanted to be bigger and better than who he was when he grew up. You know, Ralph Lauren's aspirations 
was something beyond who he was around. The glamour and excess was a big part of the Ralph Lauren story. Fashion editor uh, Robin Givon was in the documentary as well. Um, and she feels that the brand is there to make you feel that you are dressing the part of these dreamy scenes in the movies. Wearing Ralph Lauren clothes brought the dreams of these aspirations to life. Filmmaker Joe Schulmarker was in it and he stated that Ralph Lauren's brand is a dream manifested. They are alive and anyone can have it. Ralph Lauren's obsession of the movies turned into the ads that he made that kind of looked like cinematic shorts. And it further pushed this aspirational narrative. The models or AKA characters in the ads were sold a story before they started filming. And they were sold a life that they were to portray. And by the end of the shooting, <laughs> a model said that they were, they believed the story so much, they believed it to be real. Well, so they even themselves wanted to live in that Ralph Lauren world or believed dur during that filming that they lived in a Ralph Lauren world, which made the ad so believable. You know, and the same thing could be said about how he interior designed his Madison Avenue Maison. Ralph was able to merchandise and style each room according to the perception of the American dream he had in his head. And that Maison was creating an experience that customers could step into. Ralph Lauren was the first really to design this whole customer experience. You know, he had a full home collection. He took Ralph Lauren and made it a lifestyle beyond clothing, as we mentioned earlier. Um, the way you design your home could be a full page Ralph Lauren ad. And, and instead of it just being a regular department store or boutique that you mainly felt a drive just to go in and buy it because it was just clothes hanging on a rack, he created a full experience. He was ahead of his time at this. The store opening was in 1986 and the customer experiences as we talked about our last episode really wasn't pushed into the 2000s. So if you listen to that episode called Retail Restructuring, we spoke about how retailers were creating experiences in their store to drive customers to come in and not solely shop online. You know, many felt that the store opening on Madison Avenue would hinder the purchasing power in other retailers that sold Ralph Lauren, like Bloomingdale's, where he first started. Ralph had the fortitude to know that this would only help grow sales in those stores as well, and it did. Vogue editor-in-chief Anna Wintour says in the documentary that Ralph Lauren's working with American uh, photographer Bruce Weber, they created this Ralph Lauren myth, and that is still alive to this day. Bridget Foley of WWD says if Ralph Lauren is called out for anything, it would be his consistency of the brand's aspirational point of view. Andre Leon Talley was also in it, and he says that the ads that Ralph Lauren created had a language of elegance as well as timeless and classic qualities. Uh, he also said that he broke barriers by having model Tyson Beckford in his ads. Bethan Hardison was also in the documentary and she said that Tyson had something that was street yet elegant, you know, and he kind of gave an edge to Ralph Lauren Polo. Anna Wintour comes back, you know, it kind of pans back to her and she says that Ralph always champion, was a champion for diversity and he was one of the first designers to use African-Americans in a meaningful way. But I'm thinking she means American designers or maybe she means Ralph Lauren used them in ads in a meaningful way because I definitely know French designers showcase black models on the runway way prior to this. So I'm assuming that's what she means there. Andre Leon Talley said that there is something about the Ralph Lauren look. 
you know, it gave you confidence when you wore those clothes. And at the timestamp of one, two, one, two, one, <laughs> just want to give you the exact time so you can go back and look if you need to, goes on to note, Andre Leontelli goes on to note that Ralph Lauren's shirts were also aspirational, just the shirts themselves. And this is what we spoke about before, that entry-level pieces would be the thing that many could feel that part of the fabric of the higher social standing. So if you bought the Ralph Lauren polo shirt, you felt part of a luxury brand. Designer Jason Wu in the documentary says that the first thing he wanted to do when he moved to America was to get a Ralph Lauren polo shirt. Mr. Wu says as an immigrant, that was the way he felt he integrated himself into the American way of life with a polo shirt from Ralph Lauren. And this is where the polo shirt is where the attachment of hip hop and Ralph Lauren's love affair begins. Kanye West says that he needed something to set himself apart when he first entered the rap scene. He called the shirt his magician cloak. <laughs> he says that the shirt made him feel, I'm assuming mentally, or maybe he also means figuratively, that he could leave the inner cities of Southside Chicago and enter the beaches of Montauk. Robert Givon pans back and it says that the brand messaging of belonging is how it taps into people's feeling of obtaining success in various forms. So this creation or recreation of Hollywood or American look that Ralph Lauren sold made people feel that it was only obtainable for those who can afford it and those who it was targeted to, i.e. waspy individuals. But contrary to this belief, many Black and Latinos from urban areas wanted to belong in that world as well. There was a very, 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 and this is all caps and it's all those very <laughs> short section of the documentary de dedicated to the culture phenomenon of the lowlifes. One of the lowlifes founders and rapper Thurston Howell III appears and talks about the fashion impact that Ralph Lauren Polo had on them as a youth growing up in Brownsville, Brooklyn, New York. That area has a long had a history of crime and social economical downfall, and they connected themselves to this fantasy of Ralph Lauren. The crew was formed in 1988, and they found a way to blend hip hop, uh, Brooklyn, New York, and Ralph Lauren aesthetic, and made it the, made it their own. Thurston said, like everyone else, they wanted the finer things in life, and. Connecting with Polo was their entry into that arena. They didn't have the money to acquire the clothing, so they boosted it. Thurston said that it was their way of seeing America further than the last stop on the train. And in this section, it ends at 121.13. So like I said, this was very, very short. I was not happy about how short this was. And this is the part of the documentary that annoys me. Remember when I said, let's put a pin in a minute 302 where the documentary pans to the scene of the opening of the rapper's Ghostface and Raekwon of the Wu-Tang Clan and then pans to Kanye West standing with the designer? I personally believe Ralph Lauren owes uh, the hip hop community a lot because they rocked polo gear from the 80s on. You know, hip hop and the lowlifes have drove part of the brand as a driving force in the top fashion names to wear in their videos, in New York City streets, and in lyrics and songs, which then drove their fans to be consumers of Ralph Lauren Polo. And they went to buy it because their favorite hip hop artists are wearing them. And that drove up sales. Let's take a look at the past couple of years. You know, it just took a very long time for Ralph Lauren to even acknowledge hip hop's influence or the low life's influence in the Polo brand. In that scene uh, that they showcased, Wu-Tang members Raekwon and Ghostface in the opening was from their video, Can It All Be So Simple, which debuted in 1994. That's the video where Raekwon wore the polo uh, snow beach jacket. 
And if you watch the video, it's at one minute, one 13, which turns into the most coveted piece of polo gear. Raekwon himself was not credited when the jacket was re reissued in 2017. So the reason why Raekwon wore that jacket and the reason why he should have been credited because he is the one who made it so popular and so coveted by so many uh, streetwear collectors. Raekwon had told Complex in an article that he felt insulted that Ralph Lauren didn't contact him when they did this reissue. And in the same article, and this article was titled, Does Snow Beach Re-Release Means Polo Is Finally Acknowledging Hip Hop? Complex states that they reached out to Ralph Lauren and they didn't want to comment on the re-release re directly, but they did uh, comment that they wanted to relaunch it because it was deeply embraced by streetwear collectors. Or it could be the companies re-release this polo collection knowing that it would drive sales to help the brand. The documentary itself gives, gives good insight into the man behind the brand. It shows the viewer that his whole brand encompasses the American dream and it gives the perception that anyone can have access to it. The issue that I find that irritates me is the lack of inclusion in his American dream, whether that's an ad stories, runway or the models themselves. Outside of the few that made the mark, which was i.e. Tyson Beckford or Naomi Campbell. At the end of the documentary, it showcases his 50th anniversary show and it was held in Central Park in 2018. The attendees were the who's who of media, fashion, and celebrities and such. The models in the show showed what America truly is. The ethnic makeup of those models represented much more than was ever shown in his prior ads. Filmmaker Ken Burns was in it and he said that it isn't just Ralph speaking to those who already have it, but those who want to have it. The Ralph Lauren Instagram account, which was very ironic, posted just yesterday, February 2nd, that moving forward, they promise to tell more stories that elevate Black, the Black experience as we continue to re-examine our portrayal of the American dream. Black history is American history. And I know that I'll be watching the Ralph Lauren brand to see if they commit to these statements and showcase more than what has been displayed and those who have access to the American dream and who represents it. So if you get a chance, check out Very Ralph Documentary on HBO for yourself and let me know what you think. <laughs> but other than that, um, this was my sum up and my review of the, the film. So thank you for tuning in to Fashion Decipher and I will chat with you next week. Bye. Hi guys, it's Sean. Make sure you visit our website, fashiondecipher.com, to get a visual on what we're talking to you about. Check out pics from events, of guest speakers, and exhibits. If you miss anything we post, you can visit our archives page. Also, while you're there, hit that subscribe button. Leave your email, and if you like, a comment. Tell us what you think or what you would want to hear on an upcoming episode. Don't forget to follow and friend Fashion Decipher on social media. Check out what we're up to. Speak with you next week. Thank you.